take out your Bibles, turn with me there. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Romans chapter 8, if you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. We come today to one of, uh, one of those verses that we, we know that the Bible tells us that it is every word, every single word in the Bible that we hold is God-breathed, and it is inspired by the Lord, and it is profitable for, for teaching, for proof, for our growth. Every word that we hold is, is God's word to us, and every word is important. And, but we come to these verses occasionally that, that are just that where we have to slow down, we have to to, we have to we take it all in because there are amazing promises in the Word of God. And, and we come to Romans 8, 28 this morning. And no doubt many know this verse. No doubt many um, have received great comfort from this verse at times in your life. No doubt many of you have used this verse to bring comfort to others. The problem at times, though, is that this verse can become so familiar, it can almost become a cliche. Um, hey, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. And we can just kind of throw that out there, and there, there is that danger. But guys, this is, but this is such a powerful promise that we have, and we're going to... We're going to look very carefully and closely at it today, but we can't, we can't just take this verse 828 and just take it completely out of Romans 8 or even the verses that are right around it because we look at it in context, and we're going to do that together this morning as we drill down into it. But I want to read verses 28 to 32 kind of as the block that we're going to begin to look at. And if, if you would, maybe this will be part one of I don't know how many as we, as we go through these verses together because there's so much here. But if you'd follow along with me, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he, his Son, the Lord Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? An amazing section of scripture. Again, we'll spend at least a, a few weeks going through this together. But let's, let's drill down into verse 28. And we can't, we can't move very far without stopping. We've got to look at the very first word, and... And it's an extremely important word. We, we, we talk about conjunctions a lot. The one that I highlight most of the time is but. If you've been around very often, we, we underscore that because the significance of the word but in verses, and we did even last week, remember, when it talked about the fact that, that we are in our weaknesses, still in our flesh, until we get to that glorified state revealed. While we are still here, we are in our weaknesses, and we don't even know how to pray as we should in verse 26, but there's that glorious word, but. 
even though in our weaknesses and we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf, praying for us, interceding perfectly for us because he intercedes perfectly according to the will of God for our lives, as it tells us at the end of verse 27. He intercedes according to the will of God. That's why the next word is so important, and. And in addition to the fact that the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf according to the perfect will of God for our lives, we know it tells us, and God Almighty is working on our behalf to make sure that that will comes to pass. The Holy Spirit interceding according to the will of God. Verse 28 says, who are called according to his purpose, his purpose, his will for us. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter one, saying this, the, the same thing to the church in Ephesus. He writes, also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined, note, according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Working all things. It tells us he works all things together for good. It, tells, it ties it directly again to what has been spoken of already, that the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. The will of God. And we need to understand that the will of God has, has multiple facets, and we'll look at this a little bit more even in greater detail next week, should the Lord tarry. But first of all, I want to look at the fact that God has a prevailing will. Sovereign, almighty God has a prevailing will that cannot be thwarted. It cannot be stopped. And as it tells us again in Ephesians chapter 1, that he works all things after the counsel of his will. He works those things. He is the one in control, sovereign, almighty God. And the, and the Bible teaches us that in God's sovereign will, there is a prevailing will. There is also a permissive will. God gives us a choice as to whether we will follow cert certain things as, as we move along, and he has a personal will for each one of us. But the Bible tells us that God's will for, for all mankind is that they would come to know him and come to a knowledge of the truth. It's not God's desire that any should perish, but that all would be saved, that all come to repentance. God will not force that upon anyone. That is something that must be received, and that is where the, the permissive will comes in. And we'll, as I mentioned, we will discuss that more next week. But speaking of believers, and again, Paul directing this towards believers, this entire thing. We're talking about the battle of the spirit and the flesh within a believer as we work through this. The children of God, as we talked about earlier, the Holy Spirit testifying to that. And we work through this, this beautiful section of scripture. And we know also in God's word, it tells us that his desire, his will for us as believers is that we are filled with his Holy Spirit, that we are spirit filled. It tells us very specifically that his will for us is that we are sanctified, set apart, becoming more and more like our Lord Jesus as the Spirit of God manifests the Son of God in the lives of the children of God, as we've discussed numerous times over the last several weeks. But it is also part of God's plan, part of God's purpose, Part of God's will for us as believers in this process to go through suffering, to go through times 
of difficulty. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, Therefore, those also who suffer, note, according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in, note, doing what is right. Entrusting our souls, entrusting ourselves to, our, to the, a faithful creator in doing what is right. That word there, doing what is right, is the noun form of good in Romans 8.28. We know that God works all things together for good. That's what we stated. That's that promise in 8.28 that we're looking at. But here in 1 Peter 4, it tells us that we suffer according to God's will, but we entrust him in that process because he is doing what is right. He is bringing about that good that he promised that he would. There's a purpose for the suffering, there's a purpose for the difficulties, there's a purpose for the trials that we go through in our lives, and that purpose is revealed for us in this word, for good. But we see this throughout the, the, these last couple of weeks in the verses that we're looking at, and look ahead as we read now in verse 29, the ultimate purpose, as it tells us, for those whom he foreknew, that is us, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That is God's plan and purpose and will for us as believers to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen this in the last couple of weeks. Remember, we looked all the way back in verse 17. As children of God, as the Holy Spirit testifies to our, our, our spirit that that is the case, it says that we indeed suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. That moment that is yet to come for us when we stand glorified, revealed as we looked at last week in, our, in ado the adoption that we have, we fully embrace that in our, in our new bodies, in our new way in heaven that day ahead. But it is such a done deal in the books of God. Again, look at verse 30. At the end of that, speaking of us, it says, whom he has predestined, he's also called. Whom he's called, he's justified. Those whom he's justified, he also glorified in the past tense. Even though we have not fully realized that yet, that's how God sees us. It is, such a, it is such a done deal that that is where we are. And he is working all things in the course of our life to make certain that that day happens, that that comes. And tying it directly to there. Peter will write in 1 Peter chapter 5 later on in his, in his first letter, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It says he has glorified. These are speaking of things that he will do. Again, those come together perfectly in God's economy. The things he is doing in our lives are because he already considered, considers us glorified. That is, that, is, that is the good that we are working towards. Well, as we go back to, to verse 28, and notice secondly, we know. And we know. Absolute certainty in the life of a believer. It doesn't say, and we think, or and we feel, or and we suppose, or and we wish, or even, and we understand. Because it's not about what we understand. But there is something in the life of a believer that we know this to be true. And again, going back up to 
Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit alive in the believer, testifying at the very spiritual level within us this absolute fact that we are children of God, and because of that, we know that God is actively at work bringing all things together for our good. We know. It's not a philosophy. It is a certainty, but it is something that we need to embrace by faith. It is something that we as as Christians need to grab a hold of because, again, it's not by sight. It's not by feeling. It's not by emotion. It is because it is the promise of God. It is the word of God. And God cannot lie. As children of God, we, we walk through this life and we, and we through, through his word and through experience and through worship and, and through our, our surrendering of our lives more and more, we know our heavenly father more and more and more. And in that, we trust him more and more. By the way, Jesus tells us that that is what eternal life is, knowing God. Knowing him, in not, not knowing about him, but knowing him intimately and personally. John chapter 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, speaking, of the, speaking to the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing you. We don't know, as Paul writes here, and we know. We don't know that because we see the answer all the time. We don't know that because we understand what is going on all the time. We know it is true because we know the God who said it. And we, he is faithful. He is always faithful. He is always good. He's incapable of being anything but. And that brings us to the next part. And we know God causes God causes. There is no such thing as coincidence. There's no such thing as, as, as fate. God causes. Almighty, eternal God working on the behalf of us as believers. It's not up to us to manipulate or to twist or to turn. God causes. He has ordained the ends as well as the means to that end. Again, he has also glorified. That's the end. But he ordains the means by which each and every one of us individually gets there. And we know God causes all things. All things. Not some things. Not most things. Not all good things. Not all things but. That Greek word translated all. And all means all. And that's all, all means. <laughs> all. As a matter of fact, all things is a single word. God causes all. We can, we can look at, at things and we can categorize it. No, God causes all. The things we see, the things we don't see. The good things, the bad things. The things that bring us pleasure, the things that bring pain. All things, good, bad, all things. Yes, even that. Because I know you're thinking something. 
you have that situation right now in your mind. How in the world could God possibly use that for good? You have that person in mind. They hurt me. They, they did this. They did that. They said this. How could God possibly use that for good? That person, that incident, that thing, that, that difficulty, that tragedy, that setback. Yes, that. And we're not always going to see it right away. As a matter of fact, a lot of those things we won't see right away. We won't understand right away. Most of these things, as, again, as we walk along in our Christian life, we get to a point where we can turn around and look back and we can say, okay, I see it now. And that should bring us comfort again when we look at and, and we look back on the faithfulness of God to this point as we're going through the next trial to look back. But we don't always see it when we're in the middle of it. I heard a story told of a king who loved to go big game hunting, loved to go hunting in these deepest, darkest jungle areas, and he, he to, always took along with him well, his slave, but over the years had become a very good friend. And he would always just take him. It was just the two of them that would go out, go out and hunting. And his, this, this friend of him, his always had a saying, no matter what happened, he would say, it is good, it is good. And it was his job to make sure that the gun was loaded, that the rifle was ready to go at any moment's notice. So he had it all set. And sure enough, here comes the, the animal that they were hunting out into the open. So the king takes up the gun and, and he shoots it. It misfires and it blows his thumb off. And as he is jumping around in pain, his friend is going, it is good. It is good. He goes, what are you talking about, you fool? This is not good. My thumb is gone. He's so upset, he has him brought back and thrown into jail. A year later, the king is out now hunting by himself, and he's hunting into an area that he knew he shouldn't have gone into because there are cannibals in that area, and sure enough, he is captured, and he's tied up, and as they are preparing the fire and they're going to put him on the fire and cook him for dinner, all of a sudden one of them notices that his thumb is missing. They panic because they are so superstitious that they will not eat anything that is not whole, so they release him. <laughs> so he goes back and he goes to his friend and he says, can you please forgive me? I thought that this was, there was no good possible thing that came out of this. But, but I see now that you're right when you say it is good because, because I'm free because of the fact that, that my thumb is missing. The only bad thing that has happened is you've had to spend all of this time in jail. And his friend says, no, it is good. <laughs> and the king says, well, how could you possibly see good in that? He said, because if I wasn't here, I'd have been with you. It is good. And we don't always see it. But God causes all things to work together for good. Yes, even your failure. Even my failure. Even our sin. Now that is not to say let's go out and sin so God can make good of it. No. But even in those, you say, okay, how, how in the world could God make good out of that failure? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us this, because this again, speaking of believers, speaking of 
the children of God, and, and by the way, to us only as children of God, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And discipline comes when we are disobedient. And it's, the author goes on to then compare the discipline of an earthly father to a child who disobeys, and then comparing that, that it's even in a far greater way when our heavenly father disciplines us as his children. And note what he says the outcome of this is in verse 10. He disciplines us, speaking of God, he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Yes, even that. Don't let the enemy tell you that because of that failure, because of that sin, God can't work that, God can't use that. You humbly come before God, repentant, broken, God will move that, even work that together for good, ultimately. All things. Our next word there, work together, actually is one single Greek word, and again, a really, really neat one when we look at it and understand what, it's, what it is. The Greek word there is synergo, which is where we get our English word synergy. And synergy means that when you take a bunch of things and you put them together, what they create together is greater than the sum of their individual parts. It produces, when you bring things together, something, an effect that is greater than and different from what they were or what they could be working individually on their own. The, the, it couldn't produce this result without being mixed together. Now we see synergy taking place in, in a lot of different things around us. Chemistry, for one example, there are, there's, there are many things that by themselves are dangerous, even poisonous. Two things, sodium and chlorine, by themselves are poisonous to us, but you mix them together in just the right way. Every single one of us uses it every day, table salt. Synergy, having a totally different effect when they're brought together. When I was, when I was a kid, the, the one thing I can remember, well, two things actually, one was tomatoes, but the other one was zucchini. I wouldn't eat it. I can't tell you why, because I actually really love zucchini today, but Man, when I was a kid, I was, and I can remember very, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was like five, six years old. We're sitting at the table, and my mom said, you are going to eat that zucchini. And I said, no, I'm not. And it was a battle of wills then. She says, you are going to eat zucchini. I mean, you're, you're not, you're not going to go through life. I'm not going to eat zucchini. I'm never going to eat zucchini. You're going to sit there until you eat that zucchini. <laughs> About three hours later. She comes in, she goes, all right, go to bed. I walk down the hall. <laughs> I'm never going to eat zucchini. A couple of weeks later, when I'm eating the most delicious bread I've ever had in my life, <laughs> and I ask for like my third or fourth helping of it, 
My mom smiles and said, here's another helping of zucchini bread, son. <laughs> it's interesting when, when you look at the recipe for zucchini bread, the individual ingredients, three cups of flour, three raw eggs, a couple of ounces of vegetable oil, salt, baking soda, baking powder, zucchini. <laughs> Take all of those things individually. I mean, I, can't, I probably couldn't find any takers that said, hey, would anybody join me after church for three cups of flour? <laughs> or a shot of vegetable oil? But you mix them all together under intense heat, and something beautiful, delicious, comes out the other end. And God is working all things together. He's putting all of those things together. Yes, that. Yes, that. Even that you think that you say, you're saying right now, I could never forgive that person. I could never do that. I could never. Be careful when you say never to God. Because he is working all things together for good. And when you say, I will never, God says, oh yeah? <laughs> we'll see about that. Go to your room. Go to bed. <laughs> the verb there, working together, is in the present active tense, which means God is always working together, even when we can't see it. Even when we can't sense it is going on, God's sovereign hand is never removed from our destiny because he has predetermined it. Paul writes in Philippians chapter one, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we know God causes all things to work together for good for good. God doesn't cause all things. God causes all things to work together for good. For good. And whose definition of good, by the way? His. His. We looked at this last week. We talked about this last week. God sees the end. He knows the end. He is the beginning and the end. God is outside of time. God is not bound by time. He's not bound by anything that we have. He's not limited in, in what, what we see around us in our immediate circumstances. And so he's working all things together for that good that we don't, even, we don't even know it's there. We have some ideas. We have some thoughts around it. But the Bible tells us it's nothing compared to that. I mean, it's beyond our ability to comprehend. The good that is working towards is what pleases him, what reflects his nature, what conforms to the original created order of things. That when we look back into Genesis, he said when it was that he looked on it and it was good. That good that every one of us would be begging God every moment of our lives for if we had enough sense to beg for it, <laughs> to know what it is. But so often, again, we can just become so short-sighted short in that. 
and, and, and miss again the, the trusting in, in a good God who, who is incapable of doing evil. And yet we can, we can take Romans 8.28 where it says, and we know God causes all things to work together for good and we can replace it with Fleshalonians 8.28 that says, but I think I must manipulate most things individually for my immediate satisfaction. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But let's be honest. How often do we do that in our daily lives? How often do we say, God, you obviously have no idea what's going on here. This hurts too much. I, I got to get out of this. You don't have any idea what it feels like to be betrayed like that. You don't have any idea what it feels like to go through this pain right now. I heard an example one time, a, a man who had recently lost his son tragically went to his pastor and said, where was God when my son died? And the pastor in a moment of, I believe, inspiration by the Holy Spirit said the same place he was when his son died. On the throne, in control, but working all things together for good. He knows what we're going through. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what all of those things. And he is working it all together for our good. Paul is not saying that whatever happens is good. He is not saying that suffering and evil and tragedy are good. He is not saying that we're going to completely fully understand why God allows it each individual time. But what he is saying, if you'll pardon the, the, the visualization, is that over this unexplained mystery in our life that continually goes on is this huge sign that says God at work. And we need to simply trust in that. The problem is we, we too often judge the end by the beginning. We look at it and say, well, if this is what it's like now, how could it possibly be that great then? We're walking by sight instead of by faith, and God calls us to walk by faith. Faith in a good God. Faith in a sovereign, almighty God. We know Romans 8.28 to be true because he said it. There's so many things that we don't know, but guys, I wouldn't trade one thing I do know for anything I don't. He's always faithful. We know this, that he is at work continually. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God speaking, I know the plans that I have for you. I know them. You might not see it, you might not understand it completely, but I know those plans. They're for welfare, they are for blessing, not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, you, you know this even if you don't, for if you've been around, the, been around the church at all, you've heard this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, all. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Trust him. Maybe you've, you've heard this before. It's been made into plaques and, and, and posters. I came across it again yesterday. It says, I asked for strength, and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. I asked for wisdom, and God gave me problems to solve. I asked for prosperity, and God gave me brawn and brains to work. I asked for courage. God gave me dangers to overcome. I asked for patience, and God placed me in situations where I was forced to wait. I asked for love, and God gave me troubled people to help. I asked for favors and God gave me opportunities. I asked for everything so that I could enjoy life. Instead, he gave me life so I could enjoy everything. I received nothing I wanted, but I received everything I needed. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. This is a promise. Guys, Romans 8.28 is this glorious promise that we can know that we know that we know that God, almighty God, creator God, the one that loved us enough to send his own son for us, that God continually works to cause all things to work together for our good. Again, that good far beyond what we could ever even imagine as as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but just as it is written, these, these things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared, note, for those who love him. That's a promise, as is Romans 8.28, but it's not an unconditional promise. There's a condition to it. Notice again, Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We'll look at the second part of that again next week, should the Lord tarry, but let's look at a moment. It says, to those who love God. To those who love God. You've probably heard it said, and if you haven't, and I'm here to tell you right now that this, this glorious thing is not about religion. But people say, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. But that's not the totality of it. That's not the whole of it. It's not about any relationship. It's about the right relationship because as human beings, we all have a relationship with God. It's about the right relationship. And it's not about a relationship about, about knowledge. It's not enough to, to know who God is. It's not an intellectual knowledge. It is a, a personal, intimate knowledge that comes only through love. It tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Love God. That word love is interesting. Again, in the Greek, there's many words for love, not like ours, where we have one word for love and we use it for everything. I love my dog. I love pizza. I love my kids. I love my wife. 
yeah, the, all of that, love, and the, all of these, we assume that we understand the different varying degrees of that. Well, Greek has several different words for love. The one that's used here is used exclusively speaking of, again, the love that, that God himself is, agape or agapeo. It, it, it describes him, and it is, it is that love that as born-again believers, born into the family of God, is the birthmark that we carry. Love. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that it's not something that we generate. It says that we love because he first loved us. As a matter of fact, in Romans, this is the only time where this word is used to describe our love for God. All the other times it's used to describe God's love for us. For instance, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Unconditional, sacrificial love. It's not about emotion. Jesus said, it, it, has, it deals, again, uh, the way that we show that is, is through obedience. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And as I've pointed out before, I do not believe Jesus said it, shaking his finger, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I believe Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's a byproduct of our love. We, we, will, we will keep his commandments if we love him. And by the way, all of them, not, not our top five, all of them, not the least of which, probably the, the, the one that goes over all of them, is he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus then went on to clarify, love as I have loved you, again, sacrificially, unconditionally. It's in the present tense to those who love God. That means that this is an ongoing behavior pattern of ours. Not perfect. Not, not perfect love. Because again, that, while we still have our flesh, we're going to continue to wrestle with that. That's why Paul says in Philippians 1.9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. But that should describe us. That our love is abounding more and more. As we allow again the Spirit of God to manifest the Son of God, the love of God in and through us, the children of God. So, does this love describe you? Does, does this describe the overarching part of your life that you love God? And again, in response for the love that He has demonstrated and, and pours all over you. Do you know the only true and living God? Jesus said that that is eternal life. Do you know him? Are you, are you knowing more of him and, and loving him more and more as you continue on this walk? Because this amazing promise that we have here that we looked at today, that almighty, eternal, all-powerful God is actively at work all the time to, to work all things together, everything that we face, all things together for our good, only applies if you are a born-again believer here today. If you're not, this doesn't apply to you. And as a matter of fact, everything that is going on is only leading to your eventual destruction.
your eventual eternal suffering. But that can all change today. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him, I want to invite you to follow him today. If, you, if, the, if the Holy Spirit right now is revealing in your heart that you have never taken that step, that you don't love God that way, that yeah, you've been going to church and you've been saying the right things and doing the right things and making sure everybody's all good and you've felt pretty comfortable up to this point, but the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now, don't harden your heart. Respond today because you can know this promise to be true in your life, not only today, but forever. Maybe you're here today and you have had that fire before. You've been on fire for the Lord. You have had that, that love for him, but it's cooled. And maybe it's just even just a little ember that's left. The Bible tells us that, that he will never snuff out that wick. His desire is to fan that back into flame today. But again, I want to invite you, come back today. You can embrace these promises as your own again today. Would you please stand with me? Let's go before the Lord together in prayer. If that is you today and you've never taken that step to, to trust the Lord, to give your life to him, I want to lead you in a prayer, but know that the prayer does not save you. It is, a, it is a transaction right now in your heart between you and your creator. And you have to humble yourself. You have to come broken before him and surrender your life to him. You just go and you, you pray something along these lines. And again, in your heart to God, just saying, God, I am a sinner. And I desperately need you. I realize up until this point, my life hasn't pleased you I've been doing my own thing. I thank you for the conviction right now and I, I ask Jesus that you would come into my life, that you would forgive my sin, that you would give me this gift of eternal life. I wanna know you. I wanna know my creator. I wanna love you with all that I have. I wanna follow after you for the rest of my life. Jesus, I give you my life right now. God, we pray right now that you would do what only you can do in those hearts. Only you grow your church. Only you complete that transaction. So God, I pray that those seeds of, of faith right now would find fertile soil. If you're here today and you have wandered away from God, it is a matter again of repentance, turning back to him, receiving his forgiveness today and you can feel the, the love just well up inside you, even here today. And Lord God, we all come before you this morning as your children, as those redeemed by your amazing grace. And we thank you for the promise that is in your word. And Lord, we embrace it to be true because you said it. And because you are faithful and because you've shown yourself to be faithful over and over again. And even though we can't see it right now, we believe that no matter what it is we're facing, you are going to, you yourself are going to make sure that that works for our eternal good. 
that this, this momentary light affliction, this momentary difficulty we're going through is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That is your promise, and we hold on to that today. Lord, would you fill us with the joy that comes from the knowledge of that truth as we sing your praises again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.